the book of James. How are you liking James so far? It's good, isn't it? It's good. A lot of people, you know, Martin Luther hated the book of James. He called it a straw gospel. He said it didn't belong in the Bible. Um, I think the people who don't like James, and, and I'm not in any way trying to say I'm more intelligent than Martin Luther because I'm not, um, but I think they misunderstood the purpose of the book of James. And what we're trying to do is, is, is kind of drill down and find the purpose behind the book of James. And he was, him and some other people through the centuries have been so committed to um, fighting against what they came out of, which was a works gospel tied to overbearing religious structure, that when they see James and they see these things you should do, they just like re- kind of repel against it and say, oh no, that's works. Well, it's not. He's just saying if, you, if you're in love with Jesus, it's going to show in your life. And then he's giving us just nuggets of wisdom for how do we live a life. In particular, we're going to find um, live a life if you're in a time of difficulty and challenge. So today, as we move into the next verse in our study of this book, um, what we need to do to understand what we're going to look at today is we've got to remember the final thought from the verses we looked at last time. And so this wasn't last week, because Pastor Chris was last week, but the, the week before. So in, verses, in chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, we'll open your Bible to James, in verses 17 and 18, that's what we looked at last time, James was reminding Christian people, remember, it's people who are going through difficult times, that he's trying to say something to them. He said, he was, he was obviously hearing a murmuring, saying, man, we became Christians and, and where's the goodness in it? And he's reminding them of these people who are Christian people who came to know Jesus, going through difficult times, that God is always good. That's what we looked at, that God is always good. He's the giver of every perfect gift. And that the difficult times that we encounter are not from God. Matter of fact, he says, when you're tempted, don't ever say God did it. He's trying to say, that's not from God. That the corruption in the world are the result of, of sin's corruption in the world and that the devil's behind that, not God. And as James was explaining God's goodness, he, he ended with the ultimate example of God being good. He said, and here I'll show you, here's the ultimate example. He says, you and I can be saved. He says, that's the example that God made a way that required the death of his very own son and as a way to, rest, to rescue us from sin and to give us eternal life in Christ. This is the ultimate example. And that's what he was talking about in verse 18. Where it says this, he chose to give birth to us. He's not talking about physical birth. He's talking about these are Christian people already. He chose to give birth to us by giving um, us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. So he said, look it. The ultimate example of God's goodness is God gave you his word. You've now his prized possession. You're, you're the first among many who will come to know him out of all creation. That we, followers of Christ, James says, you guys are his prized possession. The prized possessions of God. Our salvation is the ultimate expression of the goodness of God. Now with that understanding, that that's what he just talked about, now let's look at what he writes next. Look at verse 19. The very first words, now, um, I'm reading for the New American Standard, so your words might be a little bit different, but it should say about the same thing. It says, verse 19, the beginning, it says, This you know, my beloved brethren. Now, what's after the word brethren? Okay, what's, what, I should be more, more specific, what punctuation? The period. This you know, sometimes people read this, 
And they think, this is an introduction to what he's going to say next. This you know, my brethren, da 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 It's not what he's saying at all. And if you don't get this, you won't understand what James is trying to do here. Verse 19, he says, this you know, my beloved brethren, period. What's he referring to? He's referring to what he just said. He just told us about God's goodness, and the ultimate example of God's goodness is that, that we're, we can be saved. He's saying God is good all the time, even when you're going through, through hard times. He says, this we know. You know you are chosen. You know you are God's prized possession. He's, he's um, saying, this is, this is, we know what I just said. But then somebody said it earlier, what's the next word? But. But then James says, but. But. Everyone must da 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 da. So it says, we know what's true back here, but I want to talk about something else now. He says, you know what I said, that, that we're God's prized possession. I, you guys get this. But you may not or probably don't know what I'm going to say next. It's true. You know the truth about being believers. I think I need to remind you about something. He has seen, I believe, what's going on in the lives of those, remember, those mistreated Christians that are not that are they're, that are really being marginalized and and treated horribly in their life situation and he sees the way they're responding to it and he wants to help them and in essence he wants to help them a little bit by correcting them you know sometimes in the church we think that you can't ever correct anybody scripture very clearly says the reason that this word of god's been giving it to us is been to encourage us thing but to correct us and to train us in righteousness. And this a little bit in a very kind and loving way of what James is doing. He says, you know all this over here. This is true. You're slipped. But let me tell you about something that needs to be, you need to be aware of as you're going through high, hard times. So what does he say that they might not understand? And I would say this, we might not understand also going through hard times. Well, it's, it's verse 19b and the rest. It says, so this you know, my beloved brethren, period. But... This is what I want to remind you of. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And we'll stop right there. James says, you know that you are God's own, but I need to address some of your actions. Now, I would have to imagine that James writes this because some of the previous, of these precious Christians, rather, were not responding well to the mistreatment that they had been receiving. So remember, we know from history, and we know from the way James is writing, that these Christians were mistreated, and that they were poor, and that their properties had been seized, and that they were marginalized, and that they were just the, the, the lowest rank in society. And probably what we have to imagine is they were responding to their circumstances in ways that did not fit with those who had been set free in Christ. I think we can assume they were probably fighting and arguing and quarreling and being angry with the people oppressing them and towards one another. So James gives to these brethren, what we've been seeing all through all James, and we're going to see the whole time, another nugget of wisdom for living well in a troubled world. And really what he is doing is he's trying to help them and us have a proper posture towards life or an attitude something that, that overrides all the circumstances, an approach to life that is really quite unnatural, but is very Christian. So what does James say? What's he saying? You know all this about being saved, but be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Mis, 
used people. And he's saying, listen, remember, he's writing to these persecuted, misused people. And he's saying, listen, in the midst of it, I want you to act a certain way. I want you to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, would this be normal, a normal way that we would generally act or respond during times of mistreatment? That you're going through something. These people, their property was seized. They were shunned by their own people, Jews, and they were hated by Romans. They couldn't work. They couldn't get jobs because they were Christians. They're scattered all around. Right? He says to the 12 tribes, scattered around outside of Jerusalem. Would you generally, when you're mistreated in your own home or at your workplace, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger? Well, I wish I could say that's how I normally respond. But I'm afraid in my history, and I'm getting better, that I tend more towards being quick to anger, quick to speak, and slow to hear. And I think that I'm not alone in that. That this is probably the same for most of us, and James saying it's true for the people he's writing to. Something happens that we don't like, that we are misunderstood or we're mistreated, and what happens? Boom! Our tempers rise, we verbally respond, blood pressure goes up, we get angry, we probably say something we shouldn't, we do very little listening to the other person, and then let the games begin. Right? Isn't that true? It is a church, we can be honest. James is trying to help us. Don't put on this fake Sunday smile and pretend. I, I know what your homes are like because mine are like the same way. We get better at this and we're trying to. We're getting better at this. But this is pretty, pretty normal. It's true. But understand, James wants something better for us. He doesn't want us trapped in our old routines that were formed in us before the Holy Spirit began His life of transform, work of transformation in us, before we were believers, we have formed all this lifestyle that reacts in certain ways. And He's saying, listen, I have a better life for you. He wants us to have God's wisdom for our lives. So He turns it around and helps us see what can be. That's what this is a picture of. That's what Martin Luther didn't get. He's saying, listen, he's not working anything out. He's saying, here's a picture of what can be in Christ. How those who are free in Christ can act here. You're free to be slow. You're, you're, you're free. This isn't natural for us. Our tendency is to express ourselves. Our culture teaches us to do it, says to do it all the time. Express your ideas, express your feelings, express your your desires, which often usually involves not hearing others, not listening. But James's first word of advice for us Christians going through especially hard times is that we learn to listen. And I want you to understand something. This is something we learn. What James is talking about here is completely doable. If he was saying, what you need to do is you need to raise the dead, he'd say, well, how do I do that? But he doesn't say something. He's not saying something impossible. He's saying something that's learnable and doable. He says, we can learn to listen. So often, if we will begin with actually listening, listening that tries to understand another person's perspective, 
then often the situation will not escalate to anger because as we are trying to see life by listening from the other person's perspective, we gain understanding and we go, oh, okay, maybe you're not a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Maybe I just misunderstood you. Think about how many conflicts you have had because you jumped to conclusions and only had part of the story. And see, we have people in my club, we, we learned this early on. See, if you wear these, shouldn't have taken that out, but if you wear these, here's what happens. You hear about 60% of what's being said. You misunderstand the other 40%. And you're convinced people say things to you that they never intended. You hear half a story. So, the phrase before my hearing aids, the phrase around our house was this, what the deaf man heard. That's what the deaf man heard. That's the title of a movie, a Hallmark movie. A great Hallmark movie, by the way. If you ever watch it, it's a great movie. But the phrase around our house is, well, what the deaf man heard. Because I'd be like, you can't do that. We'd be talking to you probably say, what did you think we said? You said, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. I heard you. Well, I didn't. But I'm not alone in that. You don't need to have hearing aids for that to happen. We generally don't listen to other people. Matter of fact, um, there's a quote that we have a, a slide of that this is absolutely true about the problem in communication. It says, the biggest communication problem is we don't listen to understand that James is trying to get at. This is apply. This is the truth that James is trying to get at. This is how we live most of our lives. This is how I'm trying not to live. I'm trying to let the Holy Spirit change me so I don't live like this. And I'm James encouraging you and I to get on this. The biggest communication problem is that we don't listen to understand. We listen to reply. Isn't that true? A conflict starts very small. What the deaf man heard was wrong. And as the, the other person is talking after you misunderstood, you're not listening. You know what you're doing? You are formulating your response. You're just, you're waiting for them to take a breath. Because the second they take a breath, wham! You come out and you let them have it. And you know you do it. We're masters at it. Here's my question about that. Has that ever turned out good? Think about it. Does it ever promote love and unity? That as that person's going on and on, your temper, your, your blood pressure's going up and your brain's going 100 miles an hour. You know, and you're just thinking, you just take a breath. Boom! And you're going to put them in their place. And you know it, because you do the same thing. Now, some of you aren't, aren't, don't have an aggressive personality, but you do it passive-aggressively. Well, you say something as you walk away through the closed door. <laughs> you say it. You know, you still do it, or you say it to somebody else about that person, but it happens. It doesn't help. No, not, you know, just, just um, doing that escalates the situation to anger if we're only thinking about how are we going to respond. So James, uh, his wisdom for living well in tough times, he begins by saying this. Listen, just learn to be quick. To hear. Just start by hearing. My dad used to say this to me. Mark, 
You got two ears and one mouth. Shut up and listen, you know. And so that's good advice. That's James, you know, in dad speak. That's what it is. And so start by listening and actually listen to understand. Don't believe you always know what somebody else is thinking before they say it. You're usually wrong because we're not mind readers. And so listen to understand. Start with listening. So his first part is say start by listening. Remember, he's trying to create an image for us here or a posture towards life of peace. A posture towards life of saying you can live a better life. If you are an explosive person, explosive because you know my parents bought me for I'm telling you, you're... and when I was in, like, in grade school, I thought it was a cool shirt, you know, because I was explosive. And I've learned over the years, probably 20 years ago, I could take you to the spot on Highway 60 I was driving. And the Lord spoke as audibly to me as he's ever spoken in my life. And he said, Mark, you've lived by anger your whole life. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, you've used anger as a tool to accomplish. It was the work of the Lord. And I've got something better for you. So it's probably been a 20 year journey saying, okay, I've learned to live in my old life as an angry person. And a lot of you have too. And I'm telling you, it's a process of learning and unlearning. It's this work of the Holy Spirit, but it's also learning and unlearning. It's changing your narratives. It's going to track. So you start by being quick to hear. But then James goes on. Let's move on. As a direct result of that, he says... Be quick to hear, then you can be slow to speak. Now notice something here. For all you who are right away going, oh yeah, you talk a lot, and you don't say a word, listen to what he says here. He does not say don't speak. I'm glad he said that. (laughs) He does not say don't speak. That's the mistake that Adam made when Eve was being tempted by the devil in the garden and he stood at her side and he said nothing and look at the mess we're in because of it. He does not say don't speak. He says be slow to speak. In other words, he's saying this, think before you speak. And I think, um, I, think I used a, a, a picture I'm gonna, that I'm going to show you right now, maybe a year ago, but I had to dig it back up. So look at this thing, think. Have you ever seen this before? It's, it's a little... The whole thing on that screen, yep. Um, Think before you speak. Ask this, T-H-I-N-K. Before you think, T, is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? K, is it kind? And think before you speak. That's what he's getting at here. Now, You could say, well, this is just all unicorns and rainbows and fluffy and you can't ever say anything hard. No, sometimes being kind is telling somebody like James is doing right here. In kindness, he's saying, hey, you guys get this idea that that you're God's chosen people. But you know what? You're not acting right in conflict. And his kindness and his love, he's saying, listen, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He's kind of giving them a little slap. And so something to be kind for something to be necessary might not be fun. Is it inspiring? Does it inspire love and unity? Think before you speak. Before you speak, venting your anger. And is it true? So think before you speak. Before you speak, ask these questions. Because the goal of communication is what? It's to understand the other person in order to promote love and unity. 
Asking these questions before speaking will help you to not say something that will harm love and unity. I have a piece of paper hanging next to my desk. Matter of fact, you can tell this is the world I live in right here. That think, if you come into my office, my desk is here, it's on the wall. There's a little part wall where a closet is. It's on that wall right there. Right next to me on my desk right here, hanging on a piece of tape from the windowsill, is a piece of paper. I photocopied it here. It just is on top. Proverbs 15. It has verses 1 and verses 28 written out. Proverbs 15, verses 1 and 28 say this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but the harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise man makes knowledge acceptable. Verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, think before you speak, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The Word of God is trying to communicate something to us here. It's just not some cute little think thing. It's trying to say, listen, think before you speak. Um, In your heart, the heart of a righteous thinks about, ponders, how do I answer? How do I say what needs to be said? Be quick to, 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 to hear, slow to speak. So James is explaining a proper or more beneficial approach to life. When he says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. And then he adds this. And then he says, and be slow to anger. I'm going to stop for a second in this. Can you feel what he's trying to accomplish in this text? He is encouraging an attitude of peacemaking. He wants Christians to be different than they have been before Christ. To experience lives of peace, not anger. So he encourages this Peaceful posture towards our interactions, especially during stressful times. Because here's what we normally do. Our life is going along great, and then stress happens, and boom, reality is revealed. I've got a way, as a matter of fact, Josh said it to me the other day when we were driving in the car. And I always said this, it's, it's not the outside of the cup, it's what happens, what spills out when the cup is jiggled that shows who you really are and where you're really at. So when everything's going good, it's all... Peace and, peace and flowers, it's all great. But what happens when the, when the cup gets jiggled? What happens? I told somebody recently, I said, going through this whole Cali thing, you know, oh my goodness, bring her back to life. And he's been delivered dead. But people encouraging each other. And all I heard, I heard Jim Smith quoted so many times, uh, you know, uh, um, I'm one in whom Christ dwells and delights and I live in a stable and shake of a world. You know, kingdom of God. I heard, I heard that kind of things. From the second it happened. Because when you get jiggled, what comes out? Is it peaceful? Because generally when you get jiggled, that's when you fight you fight, and you bite and you devour one another. And, and James is trying to say, listen, I have a better world for you. I have a better life. So he adds here, quick to hear, slow to speak, he says. We so add slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Now this is tough in an angry world. It's really hard to not be angry in an angry world. It's tough in an unjust world. And we live in a totally unjust world. And you can be the ultimate justice-based do-gooder. And I say go for it, but understand something. You're not going to change the world. Do your best. I think we should. Send out a million Operation Christmas Child boxes next year out of church. Do your best. To make a difference, but the thing is, we're not going to change the world this side of the return of Christ and the restoration of all things. It's not going to happen. Sin is going to rule and wreak havoc on the world. We should do our best. We should try to make a difference, 
But understand, this is an angry, unjust world. How can we not become angry at evil that we hear every single minute of every day in the news of, of people walking into churches and shooting innocent people, including little children, little babies in the church? How can't you be angry? How can't you get angry at abuse? How can't you get angry at sex trafficking? Josh told me we were sitting, he read a story to me, read, I was holding Callie. Being a grandpa and holding your grandbaby is the greatest thing in the world. Somebody said, are you going to talk about that every sermon from now on? I said, I might. I don't know. I might. I'm not sure. I'll try not to bore you too much. But I was holding Callie, sitting on the couch. By the way, Suzanne's a baby hog. She gets her like, she gets her like ten, ten times to my one. But it's all right. So I actually had her. And Josh is looking on the internet, on his phone, at stories, and he said, you hear about this guy, I think, in Pennsylvania, who beat his four-month-old baby to death because he said she was being fussy. Beat her to death. How can't you get angry with horror and crime and corruption everywhere? Well, notice this, like he said, be slow to speak. He doesn't say, don't get angry. James didn't say, don't be angry. He said what? Be slow to anger. A common spiritually immature life is to be quick to aim, of of not being well along the path of transformation, is to be quick to anger, to explode the moment something upsets you. But James wants those who know they are God's prized possessions, the ones he's writing to and to us, to know that we can be different, that we can grow and we can change and that we don't have to be ruled by anger. That we can be different than the world around us and different than we have been. That as God's children indwelt by the Holy Spirit, God's very power and strength dwells within us. And as we partner with the Holy Spirit in transformation, we begin to experience character qualities of the Holy Spirit developing and deepening within us. The Apostle Paul, trying to define that and explain it, calls it something we're familiar with called the fruit of the Spirit. And I don't think he's trying to do an exhaustive list, but, it, but he says, and, and here's what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in relationship to this topic, I want us to think about that last one. Think about that last quality, self-control. The Holy Spirit enables us to take a step back, think before we act, Take a situation to God and ask Him for His perspective on the situation. That's what self-control is all about. James is encouraging spiritual development and transformation here. That as we grow in Christ, we don't have to be ruled by anger and ruled by our flesh. That we can take a step back because of spirit-developed and empowered self-control. And, 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 and we still might get angry but it's not going to let anger move us to wrong action. Being slow to anger allows us to respond properly, to think it through, to take it to the Lord and ask Him for His perspective, because what have we been learning from the book of James? His perspective. His perspective and acting properly, properly equals what? Wisdom. Everything, James, comes back to wisdom. So being slow to anger allows us to respond 
properly, to think it through, because we have spirit-controlled self-control. We can take something to God and hold the situation before Him and say, how should I respond? Now James goes on, as he says, be slow to anger. He goes on to explain that the main reason that we should be slow to anger is because, what's he say? He says, because if you get really angry, you can accomplish a lot. Exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite of what we think in our natural humanness. He says, the anger of man. Again, we are talking about people, um, righteousness of God. In anger, take matters into your own hands. And so we say, and I just got to do something about it. So we protest, we fight, we put scathing things on Facebook. Whatever we do, we fight against the injustice, we argue with the people who we're opposed to. But James wants us to see a bigger picture, to have God's perspective, to have God's wisdom. Because he knows that often anger-driven reaction actually hinders the plan of God. Hear what I said? Anger-driven reactions actually hinder the plans of God. I want you to think about it with a story you're familiar with in the Bible. Think about Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed by Judas in the garden. Think what on that night. You know most of the story. Most of you do. Jesus, it's his last night on earth. He's in the garden. He's with his 12. And the mob, with 11, and the mob comes at him with clubs and torches. And they're going to arrest him. And his follower, Judas, leads the pack. And he's told him, I'll give you a signal. The one I kiss and greet and say, Rabbi, that's him, take him. And he walks up and he says, Master, you know, and he kisses him. And Jesus looks at him and says, what are you here for? And he kisses him. And then they arrest him. And as they're in the middle of arresting him, uprises Peter. Peter takes a sword. And he says, this ain't going to happen to my Lord. This is unjust. This is not right. He's done nothing wrong. He takes his sword and he tries to cut off the leader's, the, the, the high priest's servant's head and he misses and he chops off his ear. Now what's Jesus do? Jesus says, hey, get all your swords. Fight. Set me free. This is unjust. What's Jesus do? He says, Peter, put the sword away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And he takes and he heals the servant and puts his ear back on his head. You see, friends, God had a plan. The plan was the redemption of mankind from their lost, sin-corrupted condition. He wasn't just saying, I've got to forgive you. He's saying, you're lost and you're corrupted in your very nature, and I have a plan. There's only one plan that can change that. And it's only going to happen through the substitutionary death and resurrection of God himself. Jesus, the Son of God. I will take your place and I will take your punishment and I will set you free and make you brand new on the inside, freeing you from the corruption of sin. But angry Peter wanted to stop that. He didn't realize, sword and said, I'm going to chop off your ear. Land in the garden. He didn't get it. He goes, sword and said, I'm going to chop off your ear. Anger, the anger of Peter would not achieve the righteous plan of God. It would ultimately hinder it. And I'm telling you, church, evangelical, right-wing, American church, I'm speaking to us, we do this a ton. We're going to fight injustice. We're going to use our power, and use our support, and use our money, and use our 
political savvy and we're going to try to get things done this way. And I'm telling you, it's not generally God's plan. Here's the deal. We've got to know God's plan to do God's plan. Just getting kicked off and doing something doesn't necessarily do something right. Matter of fact, oftentimes it's cutting off the servant's ear when God's got a bigger plan. Anger over injustice is not wrong. But anger should not be the thing that moves you to action. Do you hear me? Anger's not wrong, but anger is not what should move you to action. God's will should be what moves you to action. So the need to sit with God and ask Him in prayer, in silence, in solitude, and say, what are you asking me to do in this situation? is essential to being part of the plan of God. Not this, which is a normal thing. Well, I got ticked off, God, so bless me as I fight this injustice. You know who that sounds like? Peter. And Jesus is saying, James is saying, there's a better way. It's about acting, not reacting. Now get this. God will sometimes tell you to jump in the middle of a fight. And lead the charge. And you're going to get killed in the process. Literally. By the will of God. Because he's saying, i got a plan. And you know what? They're never going to see. They're never going to see my goodness. And, see and, and Hold on to your seats. You're not going to like what I'm going to say. Until, I, until they see some real Christian people be mistreated. And be loving, kind, and gentle in the midst of it. Like a lamb before his shearers is silent. Jesus could have walked down off the cross any time, and he didn't do it. He said he was revealing the loving heart of God, and sometimes God wills it. He doesn't cause it, but he allows us to go through hard times for the reason for onlookers to say, that guy ain't acting like a normal person. How come that guy's not punching back in whatever that capacity looks like? How come he's not, they're reviling, he's not reviling the church? How come, why? Because you're revealing the heart of God of love and kindness. And grace. And we say, it's, an, it's unjust, pick a fight, the evangelical church. I'm telling you, we don't. It's too reacting. Anger checked and held before God leads to right action. And that's wisdom. The perspective of God leading to right action. Lead, that's what the definition of wisdom from week one in this series. That's what he's looking for. So he says, okay, you guys understand And he's not being mean. He's saying, you get it that you're God's chosen, wonderful, redeemed people. But you know what? You're going through a really hard time. And I'm seeing some things in you where you're biting, devouring. Maybe each other. Maybe your attackers. I'm not sure. But he says, listen, be quick to hear. Slow to speak and slow to anger. Because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. We are wise if we will listen to what James has to say. Amen? Amen. Stand with me this morning. I just want to close in prayer. Just ask the Lord to help us. I really think this is a very, very um, necessary and timely message in a culture that is fueled by anger right now. It is fueled by anger. It's so easy to just say, jump on the anger bandwagon and say, let's do it. Listen, I'm telling you, from the angriest person you've probably ever met, I'm telling you, 
How many of you, your parents bought you shirts about being angry? None of you. Me. I got the award. But when the Lord speaks to you 20 years ago and says, Mark, there's a better way. Until the time he never spoke to me because he was, I was pretty new in the faith and he was unwinding a bunch of things. And he had other things he wanted to deal with first. But then he said, now let's talk about this. So I'm not speaking from this to- on this topic about just trying to be theoretical. I'm talking about a guy who's been, who's been in the process for a long time and got a long ways to go, but been in the process for a long time. And I'm saying, I'm telling you, it's way more fun to live at peace than to live angry. Living an angry life stinks. And everybody around you pays for it. They'll still love you, but they pay for it. You cause a lot of carnage, a lot of difficulty. So James says, listen, you're God's chosen people. He's given you his spirit. And he wants to bring transformation. He's going to empower you to do this. He's going to empower you to grow and change. It doesn't happen in a minute, but it's a process. And you know what can happen? The very next time that a conflict arrives of the Holy Spirit by self-control is in your life, and you make the choice by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit by self-control to say, let me step back for a minute and, and listen first. What are they really saying before I overreact? Turn your hearing aid up. Listen. Be quick to hear. Slow to respond. Say, God, how should I respond? Which then will lead me to be slow to anger. And if I'm feeling angry, I say, okay, God, I lift it before you. Are you asking me to do something here? That can all take place in literally like three seconds inside your head with you and the Lord. You can change everything about your family life. Change everything about your interaction with your employer. Everything about your interaction with your kids or your neighbors. You know, we said on a senator or congressman who got beat up by his neighbor over, a, over lawn cutting issues. You know, you're put in a hospital because you don't like the, there's twigs on your grass. We live in an angry world. We could be different. And it's way more fun to be at peace than to be angry. So, Father, thank you that you give us some encouragement to say there's a better way. And, Lord, I know this for our church family, that, Lord, we live in an angry world, and even in the church world, um, it encourages anger. Lord, the church world encouraged me to be angry. They called it righteous indignation. They just said, well, just fight the devil. Fight injustice. And Lord, uh, there's nothing wrong with fighting the devil and fighting the injustice, but it's wrong if I'm doing it out of anger, self-human contrived anger, and not spirit-filled grace and love. So Lord, my prayer for us in this place today and Lord, some of us are saying, I'm not an angry person. I don't have an angry and, and, and you know, a bad temper. Lord, it's not necessarily about a bad temper. It's about an inner peace that you offer to us. A posture towards life that is, that is instead of reactionary, that it's, it's centered and grounded in you so we're peaceful. So that we can then handle whatever comes our way. And when the, when the glass gets jiggled, nothing crummy spills out. But Lord, if the glass gets jiggled and just some stuff spills out that we don't like, help us not to be condemned, but rather to look at that and say, okay, it's a reminder and an opportunity. they got to hold this up before the Lord. And i gotta, I got to partner in this transformation process so that, Lord, next time it doesn't happen the same way. So in my prayer for our church family, 
is that as we offer ourselves up to you, including our anger, and Holy Spirit, we welcome your activity in our life, you would help us to become that for us living good and beautiful lives. So Lord, we, we offer our lives to you and say, Lord, mold us and shape us for your glory.